0: Hello and welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blogcast. This is episode 302. My name is Emily Rainbow Davis. Thank you for listening. So, on the 300th episode, which was just two episodes ago, uh, I mentioned a couple of the most popular episodes in the list, you know. Um, they were number one. The Spongebob one, Art Entertainment and Spongebob Squarepants. And uh, number two was Harry Potter and the Hangover. Interestingly, another podcast episode has snuck in. Screaming Songs for Men has overtaken Harry Potter and the Hangover. So Screaming Songs for Men is now more popular than Harry Potter in the podcast race. I don't know how it happened Or where it came from These stats are Very mysterious Anyway, today's episode Is inspired by the making Of my other podcast, The Dragoning um, And The casting that I was doing For season two Um, And uh, I just realized Something kind of important About theater training Uh, I'm going to Read the thing to you, um, and you'll you'll hear more about it. But here it is. It is called "In Praise of the Monologue. Despite having written and created an audio drama podcast made up entirely of monologues, before now, I'd have told you I hated monologues. When casting actors, I would never ask for a monologue for the audition. I felt sure they could tell me nothing about what an actor would do in a show. I know I have delivered a few rants on the subject before. I could not fathom why preparing one classical and one contemporary monologue became a norm. As a director, I found them useless. My feeling was a monologue performance could only tell me whether that actor could do that monologue performance and not much more. It told me nothing about what they were like with other people, what their choices might be like for my show. Why did training programs rely so heavily on them when most directors I know prefer to see sides of the work they're casting? Today, I finally get it. I find myself intensely grateful for the way theater trains actors with monologues. I feel like I finally understand why everyone bothers Because I'm in the middle of casting the second season of my audio drama, I have gotten a fresh perspective on what theater folk do and what it takes for us to do it. This didn't happen with season one because every single one of the actors was a theater person, among other things, of course. But the main thing was I could give them pages of text and they could read it back into a microphone in such a way as it all made sense, that it had a rhythm and a music to it. Every single one of the actors gave their work a shape and an arc and a series of beats. You would not believe how little direction I gave these people. I did not need to. They all just did it naturally. I thought at the time that it was just because they're all good actors, but I think now it is specifically because they are good theater actors. Because season two is set in another country, I have to draw from an unknown acting pool. And I began to listen to a lot of acting reels from voiceover actors. They are incredibly skilled. They can do animated character voices. They can make a bank ad sound like silk. They can stretch sound into moments you would not believe. I have found myself impressed. Believe me, I have tried reading ad copy before and it is a lot harder than I ever imagined. These folks have skills, but do they have the skills I need? I've dipped my toes into the film world a little bit more this year, and one thing I've noticed about the difference between film and theater is the rhythm of the making. Most everything in film is in small bits. You do one line in a multitude of ways, or the same way, over and over, and then you move on to another one. If you had a long passage of text, unlikely in a film, but just for the sake of argument, you wouldn't shoot the whole thing all at once. You'd get two lines here, two lines there, another from the other side, and so on. The rhythm of the speech would happen in the edit. It only matters what each individual line is like, not the whole. The whole gets created later. In the theater, however, you have to say the whole thing all at once. You need a plan of attack. You become a one-person band, orchestrating the speed, the tone, the ups, the downs. When you're giving a speech in the theater, it's all you, you're it. It is a much more sustained experience. It turns out that reading a monologue is more than just saying the words in a reasonably correct way. It is taking an audience on a journey, and that is what we train actors for. That's why we teach monologues. I apologize for every bad thing I ever said about monologues. It turns out that training actors to deal with large swaths of text is exactly the training I need as a creator right now. It may be one of the theater's defining characteristics, actually. Theater educators, thank you for continuing to teach actors to do more monologues, even in the face of cranky people like me who didn't understand the value before. Please keep doing it. So, yeah, I really think that the... You really learn your own medium when you step out of it a little bit. You know, I... I, I I'm making a podcast, right? An audio drama is really more like radio, maybe than theater. But fundamentally, I'm still using theater tools. Like it's it's really audio theater. I mean, it is audio drama. Theater makes sense. It's just it's just um, you think it's not close to your art form, but then you're like, actually, this is exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing theater, but audio style. And uh, yeah, it's just interesting to realize. What what skills it really takes? I I didn't know that I needed theater trained people at first. I was like, oh yeah, I could just do this with voiceover people. Nope, <laughs> I don't think I could have. <laughs> it's just it's just wild. Um, anyway, I have a bunch of theater people, so it all worked out. But it was really interesting to just investigate what people are up to and how they work and what's what what works for some forms that doesn't work for other forms etc cetera, etc cetera. so i bow down to the monologue and all of the monologues i had to do as a young person in theater contexts you don't even know that you know how to do it i think until you see folks who've never had to do it and don't know you know, I mean, like, we I don't feel like I break down a a, a monologue. If I were given a monologue today, I don't think I would break it down in an intellectual way necessarily. But there's, like, it's, like, in my body to know how to approach a big chunk of text like that. Anyway, it's fascinating to me. <laughs> um, so, at, for the song today, I decided to learn a song from a show that is almost made up exclusively, I think it's exclusively monologues and songs. Um, They are not scripted monologues. They are what we now call verbatim theater, although they were crafted before we had a term for verbatim theater. Um, But it's the musical Working, if you are familiar with it. Um, It is made up of monologues from real people that Studs Terkel took, like, oral histories from people, and then the people who made Working turned some of those speeches into monologues, and then some composers turned some of them into songs. The songs are much... They're not verbatim, for sure, Um, but they are inspired by you know, the, the the things people said to Studs Terkel. Anyway, I have always loved this song. It's called Millworker, Worker. And uh, thought, oh, one day I'll be in working and I'll get to play the mill worker. And it could still happen. There is no age limit on playing a mill worker. <laughs> uh, I, I just don't, you know go out for these kinds of things very much. And I, I don't know if anybody does working anymore. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've, I haven't i have heard of a production in ages. Maybe it hasn't aged well. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to play uh, Millworker for you in just a moment. Meanwhile, thank you so much for listening. Um, and uh, if you like the podcast, please tell someone about it. Like, review, Subscribe. Share on the social media. Uh, you can also support it with your dollars. Patreon.com slash Emily R. Davis. There's also Kofi. There's PayPal. All those links are in the show notes. There's also a link there to the fundraiser for season two of The Dragoning. We are still fundraising. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah. Thank you in advance for any support in those locations and for listening right now. So, uh Millworker is a song that James Taylor wrote. I think for this musical, I think I think each song was written by a different writer, composer um and then they kind of put it all together. It's a really interesting way of building a show. I tried to do that actually. I wrote a show called The Great God Money mm, many years ago. And uh we I I wrote some stuff um, my collaborator, music director co-wrote some stuff with me and then he wrote a bunch of stuff and then we brought in, you know, a handful of, of other writers to, to like fill out the experience and, uh, and, and it creates a kind of fun, um, snack pack, <laughs> you know, like musical variety. I enjoyed it. Anyway, um, so... Here is a millworker which is also kind of a monologue I feel like you could take away the music in it and it would basically function as a monologue. When it's a song though, it has a structure that you you can't you don't do monologue things to it because the song itself creates a structure that you would have to do as a speech. That's a little bit different. But I think it's the closest to a monologue that I could think of uh, in a song form. So, here it is on guitar. Here it is, Mill Worker. Now my grandfather was a sailor. He blew in off the water. My father was a farmer and I his only daughter. Took up with a no-good mill-working man from Massachusetts Who dies from too much whiskey And leaves me these three faces to feed Millwork ain't easy, millwork ain't hard for the rest of the afternoon and the rest of my life now my mind begins to wander to the days back on the farm I can see my I can hear my granddad's stories of the storms out on Lake Erie, where vessels and cargoes and fortunes and sailors' lives were lost. Yes, but it's my life has been wasted, and I have been the fool, to let this manufacturer use my body for a tool. I can ride home in the evening staring